This is episode number 264, four-time Olympian Catherine Pendrell's approach to motherhood. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I think everyone experiences self-doubt, um, <laughs> but I guess for me, I've actually enjoyed racing a lot more this year than I actually had the two previous seasons that I raced because I was a lot more gentle on myself with my expectations. And that's not to say that I did not like do everything that I could to, to perform at the highest level, like bury yourself, but also recognizing just that, you know, the lead up wasn't perfect. You do go home and you you go home to a baby, you don't go home to put your feet up and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever your competition might be doing to recover. You realize that you are working with a different set of circumstances and beating yourself up isn't going to make you faster. If you can think of some concrete ways to, to change what you're doing to improve performance, you do that. But if you have to handle being a little further back than you might like to be, but you have an awesome family that is traveling with you to these races and you have that unique opportunity, then that's pretty special. And that's, that's definitely more special than the results. And today is certainly an inspiring story. It's one of a mountain biker named Catherine Pendrell, who has been on the show before, but she's been world champion multiple times. She's a four-time Olympian she won a bronze medal in the 2016 Olympics, and she became a new mom this year. And she was racing World Cups in Europe when her daughter Dara was only three months old and went on to race the Tokyo Olympics. Catherine is somebody who is a friend, but also a hero of mine because her attitude is always world-class. Her work ethic and attention to detail is unmatchable. And she also forms such a great team with her husband, Keith Wilson. And in 2017, they also formed Pendrel Racing, a cross-country mountain bike development team created to provide opportunities for the next generation of Canadian mountain bikers. She lives and trains in Kamloops, BC, and she is currently racing professionally for the Cliff Pro Team. There are a lot of key topics applicable to pretty much everyone in today's episode, and if you're liking things like this, you're liking learning about mindset and productivity and work ethic and being your best self, make sure you're subscribed to my newsletter that comes out every single Monday at sonyalooney.com newsletter. This past week, I wrote about what it means to actually do your best. And last week was about the phrase, no mud, no lotus, and how important it is to have difficult times and how the most beautiful things come out of that. So if things like this are ringing a bell for you or resonating, make sure you go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter and join us every single Monday. And while we're on the topic of high performance, make sure you check out this week's podcast sponsor, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized nutrition platform like no other. And how it works is they draw your blood. So if you live in Canada, somebody actually comes to your house to draw your blood. And if you live in the U.S., you can elect to have someone come to your house or you find one of the hundreds and hundreds of labs nearby. And you go just do a little bit of blood work. And what you get is amazing. You get to learn so much about your body and get insight onto how to perform even better. And it starts with looking at a number of biomarkers, things that look at your hormone health, your inflammatory responses, a vitamin panel with things like B12, vitamin D, ferritin, and you just get to learn so much about yourself. 
And the thing that Inside Tracker does amazingly well is they back up all of the recommendations with research and they make lifestyle recommendations so that you can add in things into your diet to improve these biomarkers. They also have a one-of-a-kind service called InnerAge, which looks at some of your biomarkers and calculates an inner age, how healthy you are under the hood. And a lot of us as athletes are so interested in being healthy and doing all of the things to feel our best and be our best. But sometimes there are certain things stacked against you, even in your genetics. So understanding your body, understanding yourself, and knowing how to take steps in order to make them better gives you all the power. So go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia to get 25% off any test that you try to order. I highly recommend it. And I've been using this service since 2017 and have learned so much about myself in the process. That's insidetracker.com slash Sonia. So back to this week's guest, Catherine Pendrell. In this episode, Catherine discusses training during her pregnancy, which is something that is so important to highlight different stories because a lot of women want to train while they're pregnant, especially on their bikes. And Catherine offers a unique perspective and just an inspiring perspective on what she did. We also talked about Catherine's approach to goal setting and the way that she uses language. You'll notice that she is very intentional with her words. And we also talk about overcoming adversity during the pandemic because she thought that she was going to be racing the Olympics in 2020. And then the Olympics didn't happen. So she decided that maybe it was time to start a family. So she did that. And then she decided, hey, I'm just going to go for it. I'm still going to go for the Olympics. And she did. And returning to racing with a baby isn't easy. It might look like it was easy for her going to World Cups and having her husband there with little Dara on Keith's chest walking around the racetrack. But it involves things like shifting your expectations and dealing with self-doubt and choosing whether or not to even bring your baby to the Olympics because there is a lot of weird rules that got changed eventually, but rules about the Olympics that women could not bring their babies to the Olympics because the child was considered a spectator. I think this episode is also really special because Catherine has been at it for a long time and she's had a lot of accolades. And she acknowledges that it takes hard work and it takes self-belief to keep going. So no matter who you are, I know that you're going to love this episode. I'm so grateful you're here. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss other great guests every single week. Without further ado, here is Catherine Pendrell. Catherine, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I think the last time we chatted, it was about your bronze at the last Olympics. Yeah, so that was quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah and happened since then. one of the biggest takeaways, it was a way that you articulated what what doing your best or what success is for you at a race. And it's something that we have all thought about, but just the way that you said it really stuck with me. And that has become like one of my internal monologues is you said, I just wanted to do a race and have a performance that I was proud of. And mm-hmm. that, that was the most important thing. And I think that lesson is so important. So h- how does that sit with you, you know, years later? Um, definitely. I think um, I've had to use that a lot <laughs> um, since then too. And I think it's not necessarily something you recognize until you're in that moment of like at the Olympics, you get that chance every four years if you're lucky right and so all you can ask of yourself is to to do your best on the day and um so my baby's crying in the background I like Um, it it's perfect (laughs) yeah so 
<laughs> yeah. So definitely I need that perspective and I needed that perspective again this year, going into another Olympics six months having after having a baby and knowing the last Olympics, I got a bronze medal. It was this amazing story and, and knowing I'd be going back to the Olympics and it, and it wouldn't be to probably wasn't going to be to be fighting for a medal, but it was going to be fighting to have my best ride on the day and, and being able to be happy and healthy and, and proud of that ride, whatever that was, even if it's not the result that gets media attention or, um, you know, you can hang on your wall. Yeah. And I I just want to go deeper into this because you just said like your expectations were different for what you could do that day, maybe. And how the goal isn't for the, is the goal is not the result. The goal is just doing your best with what you have on that day. And it's easy to say Mm -hmm. that, but it's hard to actually execute that and, you know, do your race but still feel satisfied knowing I've done this in the past, or if this had been different, you know, you can make all these excuses in your head. So to actually feel, wow, that was success on my own terms. So like, how did you, how do you do that? Because it's, it's really hard to actually reckon that fact. It is hard. And, and even for myself, um, you know, at the time of the Olympics, I knew like it's fresh there. I knew that I had given my best. I knew I had executed a good race. It just wasn't as, the best that the fastest woman on the day, but I was really proud of that. But then you get further away from that and you kind of get, can get far away from that feeling. And you just see your time gap from the leader, your position. And it's easy to, to fall back into that. Oh, I, I only was able to accomplish this. Like what could I have done better? But when I put myself back in that situation and, and my preparation going in, I think you have to be, you have to be realistic. You have to set goals that challenge you, but if you can look at your performances realistically and objectively and hit those goal markers, then you can be satisfied. And I guess it's, I, I think it is a little bit of experience and coming into play there where, yeah, I guess it's, it's just a matter of coming to a point in your life and in your career where you can be satisfied with giving your best. And it is hard. I, I do all, like often look back and be like, ah, oh, I used to be this rider. I used to be this fast. And it's, so it's kind of just a constant reframing of, of working with the athlete that I am now. Yeah. So meeting yourself where you are right now and it's, everybody does it. We compare ourselves to who we were in the past. And that's not saying you can't get back there, but like who we were in the past, maybe the inputs were different for what we had in the past. Like I see this with a lot of people they are like, oh, you know, back when I was 20 something and had no spouse, no like full-time job, no responsibility, I was doing this. But then fast forward 20 years and they have like kids and jobs and houses and they still expect themselves to somehow get back to where they were with a different set of inputs. And that's an unrealistic expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It can be. And, and even just um, the mental energy that is required to bring your best or bring that same energy to a competition when you're new and everything is exciting. It's like, you don't have to work to create that arousal level when you've been at it for 15 years at the, at a similar level. It's like, it takes a little bit more work to put together the right arousal state that you can bring your best in a training session, in a competition. And it's not to say that that can't happen, but it is just recognizing that it is going to take a little bit more work, maybe on work on paper to to get there um, before you actually get to the competition. And I like that you use the word arousal state because there is like a set amount of energy that is needed where it's not, you're not overly excited, overly like adrenaline before the start, but you're also not like 
sleepy and kind of unmotivated. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I don't think that that's talked about very often is that there is like this mm-hmm. optimal state of arousal before an event so that you're not like, yeah, over the top or under. So how do you actually work on that? Especially if you are less on the overexcited state and more on the, oh, I got to like work myself up for this. Yeah, I did go through a time kind of after Rio and before Tokyo where I think I was just, I was probably getting to a little bit of, of burnout and just fatigue with racing and getting to that level. And also at that point where I used to be better and I was struggling to be at the same performance level that I had been earlier in my career. And, um, you know, as I almost had fatigue to do the mental preparation that I needed to get myself to that arousal state. It's like, ah, uh, I don't want to like, I don't want to like overanalyze a race or like get into it. Or it's just like when you're sometimes like earlier in my career, it's like, you couldn't hold me back from wanting to write out my race plans and, and get excited and like kind of put all that energy into paper. And, but later it's kind of like, almost like I needed a break from that. And, and pregnancy showed me, I probably did need a break from that. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's some, I guess it's sometimes like doing the workout that you don't really feel like doing because I've done a whole lot of VO2 workouts or I don't like force work or whatever. It's actually just making yourself like setting aside the time to sit down with a pen and paper and put down on paper, you know, what your objective goals are, what your process goals are, and just kind of putting that all out on paper and and having to choose to engage with it again. It's like, I think disengaging is a way of maybe not committing to giving your best performance. So sometimes you have to give yourself a bit more of a nudge to re-engage. And I find once I do kind of push myself into that active engagement again, then I do get excited about my racing. So for me, I went through kind of a year of race season where I was really struggling to do that on my own. And then I found what worked for me really well was working with another competitor on the circuit. And before every race, we would go over our process goals for the race. And then we share them with each other and just kind of like feed off of that feedback. And it was, so having somebody that I was accountable to, to share my goals and my processes that were going to help me be my best, made me more excited about engaging with it again. And and it, it also just kept me on task. So that was a really positive thing that made it not feel like work to do that. It was, it became more of a fun task to bring myself into that engagement level, which got my mind prepped to perform like I needed once I was in the, was once the gun went off. Can you give people some examples of what like a process oriented goal would be for you? Yeah. So, um, kind of what we would do is we would break a race down into our physical, mental, technical, tactical, goals for the race and also, um, how I wanted to feel when I crossed the finish line. And I think that's a really important one because that comes into that, that feeling of being able to be proud with your performance, because if you can finish cross the finish line, feeling like, man, I, I made the best of that situation. I gave everything, then you know, that you, you did the best that you could. So an example of my, my sheet might look something like, driving legs on the climb, smooth descending, mentally chunking my race into sections so that I can give myself a win multiple times a lap to keep myself positively on track moving forward. It also gives you a chance to have a reset point more than once in a lap in case, you know, you get distracted by something that didn't go well or how your body was feeling in a section or a mistake. Um, You can just reset and keep focusing forward. So it would be a lot of those kind of the, the ways that I want to feel that are totally independent of the result 
and the placing that I get. It's like, I can always have driving legs on the climb. I can always aim to be as smooth and fast in the technical sections as I can. I can always aim to be racing forward and keeping a positive headspace. So it'd be a lot of things like that, that I would tailor a little bit to each race and the demands of each race or the competitors that are in that race and how they're going to push me on that day. Yeah. I love that. And I especially love the part about looking for small wins each lap or however, whatever your race is like chunking it down so that you can continue building confidence and building on the positive things instead of getting stuck in a negative spiral because no, you know, no lap, no moment is going to be perfect. And just continuing to think about those positive things so that you can carry them forward is such, such a, Mm -hmm. a great way to do it. And I love just hearing about that. Yeah. And that's something that I worked with my, I do work with a sports psychologist and particularly after having a baby and coming back, being away from racing for like 20 months, I found that it was easier to be distracted within a race because you haven't been training that intense focus for an hour and a half for quite some time. Um, and yeah, you can get distracted and it's particularly if you don't feel like you're performing at the level of you, your past self, how can you keep giving yourself those positives that you're getting the most out of every moment? So I love, those are some really great nuggets for people to get started, but now I want to go back to, you know, back a year or, or more, um, the pandemic happened, you know, Tokyo 2020 was on the horizon that got taken off the table. So how did you deal with all of that adversity and then the, the decisions you made moving forward? Yeah. I mean, uh, that feels like a lifetime ago. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was actually racing in the U S when the U S was declared a state of emergency and kind of rapidly got back into Canada before our borders closed. And at the time it was like, okay, like we're going to be, we're going to knock a race for a month or something, but you kind of thought like, oh, for sure. Like by the time the first Olympic qualifier happens in May, we'll be back racing. And so initially it was a little bit of a feeling of like, I actually kind of needed this breather because I was, I was definitely under a high stress load preparing for the Olympics. And I guess it was the Olympics that I was going to feeling maybe the most on my hind foot because you know, I, I wasn't at the same level. I had, I'd gone to fifth at the world cup the year before, but I wasn't as dominant of a, a racer as I have been going into other Olympics. So I'm feeling definitely a little bit more performance anxiety and probably burnout. Um, so I was like, Oh, this is a nice break, <laughs> um, but we'll be back at it. And then everything just kept getting pushed back and back and back. And then, yeah, we did get that phone call, or I guess it was a, an email initially about the NIP, Olympics being, or Canada initially was pulling out of the Olympics before the Olympics were canceled. And then it was definitely this sinking feeling for sure. And a lot of uncertainty of when will we be back racing? I had planned on retiring after the season, having a family. What does that look like? The Olympics may or may not happen. So kind of sat with that feeling for a while of kind of what I did want my future to look like. And eventually kind of when it was became more and more clear that this pandemic wasn't going away anytime soon came to the decision, I guess, of do I want to put my, the rest of my life on hold for an Olympics that may or may not happen next year, or, and that I may, may or may not even like stay in the qualification for at that time, or do I want to try to have a family and then just 
see what happens. Um, and then, then when I did get pregnant, it's like, okay, do I want to continue racing or do I want to say, this is it and just focus on family and my, uh, my team, the cliff protein, they actually offered me a contract extension during the pandemic, which was amazing. And I was like, okay guys, but can we, can we catch up on the phone first? Cause there might be something <laughs> that'll impact my plans for next year. So, uh, yeah, so I talked to cliff fair and they were overwhelmingly supportive. It was really awesome. Um, just a cool experience to know, to call a sponsor and be like, I'm pregnant and I, I'm going to do my best next year, but I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet. And just have not even a question of whether they're going to support me or not. So that was super reassuring and, and gave me a real, like a real secure base to kind of pursue my goals and, and my best performance, whatever that could be and, and know that I had their backing. So, yeah. And then it was just trying to navigate training through pregnancy and and what was realistic and what would be possible this year in 2021. Yeah. And I know that, you know, everyone has a really different experience trying to get pregnant. Like some people, they get pregnant right away. Some people, it takes a really long time. Some people need a little bit, you know, of, of help, you know, fertility treatment and those types of things. What was it like for you? So I had been amenorrheic for a lot of my career. Again, the, the thing with reds, you don't, it wasn't really a topic back then, but and we didn't understand the importance of menstrual health and getting your period for female health. But because of that, I was pretty sure that I would have trouble getting pregnant, but I have like put a focus on carrying a bit of extra weight than I had earlier in my career so that I did get my period back. And so I honestly, I really didn't expect to get pregnant right away, but I'm pretty sure we got pregnant the first time we tried. So that was actually a little bit of a, a surprise because part of the reason really prompted me to like, okay, we should try to get pregnant now and it'll probably take a year was I had been listening to this podcast about how rates of infertility were increasing and, and just how many women do struggle. So that was, it was kind of a surprise when I actually got the pregnancy test back and I was pregnant, but it really explained a lot because I had been so tired and uh, like for the first time, probably ever in my career, I started a ride. I got five minutes in and like, I literally wanted to just like lay down on the side of the trail and have a nap. I'm like, <laughs> what is going wrong? And like, there's no way that the interval that I'm supposed to do today is going to go well. So I just went back. I had like a two hour nap and then I, I felt great and did my intervals the next day. But yeah, I kept having these weird, like, like intense amount of fatigue and needing naps and I'm not a napper. And I do Zwift races and that because, you know, trying to not take any risks in training. And, and I just like, man, Zwift racing is so hard, which I think it is hard, <laughs> um, but I'm like, it gave me a little bit more insight after of like why I felt like everything was so hard. Um, and it's like, oh, you're pregnant and fatigue is a big symptom. Okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how did you proceed after that? Because there's a lot of questions out there like, well, how much is safe? Mm -hmm. And then also with the idea, like, I need to come back or I want to come back after this pregnancy and I want to minimize, you know, the amount of fitness loss if possible. Like, how did you approach all of that? Yeah, I'd say, well, initially I've, I felt really good. And so I trained quite a bit 
And then I was my pregnancy, I had some implantation bleeding. So I was forced to take time off. So there was constantly uncertainties. And I also found out that like, I have an irregular uterus and like all this stuff where it's like, not only am I pregnant, a pregnant athlete trying to train, but I'm a 40 year old pregnant athlete (laughs) trying to train and I have an irregular uterus and like all these things. (laughs) And so, (laughs) um, you know, there's, there's no clear pathways. There's, there's not even a lot of uh, studies on like young female pregnant people or let alone elite athletes and older elite athletes. So yeah, definitely, I guess my approach was to read as much as possible of academic journals. Um, so that would be like, who, who has studied pregnant women at an elite level and what are they saying? Because in the general medical community, it is going to be very conservative approach to training. You know, you still get the general heart rate guidelines and you're like, yeah, but how can the heart rate guideline for a sedentary woman be the same as someone who's trained an elite level for 15 years? Like it doesn't make sense. Our hearts aren't the same, but you're still given that. And and if you're given conservative advice, it's really, really difficult to stray from that. Even if you know, like on this uh, like visceral level that it's not, it doesn't make sense that it's a one, one model fits all, but you're caring for another human being. So it is, you don't want to take any chances. Right. So kind of, I, I did as much research as I could. I talked to women like yourself, like Keegan Randall, who's another elite athlete in the, in our region of BC, another cliff bar athlete, a triathlete who was pregnant at the same time as me. And so it's taking the athlete specific research, the general athlete or the general pregnancy information out there and and the personal experiences that athlete friends have had and kind of putting that all together and doing something that I felt comfortable with. So I could, I read, I read some things where, um, pregnant athletes would train, I'd say harder than I trained. And by harder, I mean at a higher intensity and, and some that did much less. And I, I did what I felt was comfortable because when it comes right down to it is like you, to enjoy your training, you have to feel safe and comfortable. So it's like, even if you read something on paper, if there's something holding you back, you're, you're not going to enjoy that training session if you are, are wondering if it's too hard. So I would say I was maybe conservative by an elite athlete perspective in how I trained, but probably way more than, than most people trained during pregnancy. So I can't remember my actual hours for my pregnancy, but I I know I looked at that 2020 year. So eight months of that year where I was pregnant and I, it was a 700 annual volume year for me. And then most of it was in endurance training zones and with some strength training that I just did at home because it was pandemic and I didn't want to go to a gym. So I did what I felt would do a really good job of maintaining my aerobic base, would maintain some strength but wouldn't, and was super maintainable from week to week. So rather than typically we would build over a course of several weeks and to a high fatigue level and then rest and then build up again, I did more of a steady state training from week to week. And that way I felt I was able to maximize what I was able to do without ever feeling like I was pushing myself too far, which made me nervous to push the limits on things. And then, yeah. And so that, that I actually started feeling, I probably felt my 
best energy wise in my third trimester. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I did too. I felt the best in my third trimester. And whenever you read these books about pregnancy or like childbirth, it's always so negative. Like you're going to feel awful, especially in your third trimester. And, and it's just, it's not like that for everybody. I mean, I'm sure lots yeah. of people do feel that way, but whenever people are approaching pregnancy, whether they're an athlete or not realizing that the norm or, you know, the people tend to focus on the negative and it might not yeah. actually be that way for you. Yeah. Well, I think the funny thing is, is like people, the people that are pregnant presume that you feel the way you look. And when you're in third <laughs> trimester, you look awkward, but you might feel relatively okay. Like I did a lot of cross country skiing and that felt great because it was just a way more comfortable position than on the bike. And it was outside. And, but when your first trimester, when you're particularly when you're not telling people and your hormones are wreaking havoc on you and you can feel horrible, but you're like trying not to tell people why you feel so horrible. Like that's really tough. And you're going through that, that change of like, my body used to do what I wanted to do. And now like going up any sort of incline is feels like a ton of work. Yeah. So did you have any moments or mental struggles where you're beating yourself up because you are not in control anymore of your body and what it's doing in some ways? Um, I'd say no. I think there was a, like, because I did have to take time off with the bleeding earlier in my pregnancy, it was really like, I guess that was the point where I have been training like at a really high level. And I'm like, I'm going to rock this pregnancy. And I'm going to like do as high volume as like the highest volume pregnant athlete that I've seen. And, and then that was just like a knockback of like, Oh no, you're not like your pregnancy is actually going to dictate what you do. And so that really, that forced me to change my goals in a healthier way to be like, not what are your world cup racer, Catherine goal? What are your pregnant Catherine athlete goals? So that was really good for me. Cause it, it did force me to take a step back from that high performance and give myself a break from how I would be training. If I was a regular athlete training for the Olympics uh, versus how I am <laughs> being a pregnant woman that may or may not be able to get their body back in time for the Olympics, but we'll do our best and see what happens. Yeah. And like, how did you think about that part? Like I may or may not be able to perform after I give birth. Cause I don't know what that's going to be like. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's you control the controllables and you can't worry about the rest. Like when I made a decision to get pregnant, I also made a decision in recognizing that that may compromise my ability to get back to that level um, because it is such an unknown. But I guess that that kind of changed things from giving me an opportunity to do something new and incredible with my body rather than trying to be that athlete that I was and, and trying to hold on to something rather than kind of giving myself a fresh slate and a new opportunity to see what was possible. So for me, it was actually a pretty positive headspace. And I do have the fortunate position of having been to Olympics before. So it wasn't going to be the make or break of my career and feeling satisfied with my career. It was, it's a new opportunity for me to learn about my body and women's bodies and what they're capable of and to just yeah, just have a, a completely different experience and, and perspective going into racing. And how did you feel about the the risk, the quote, I'm putting that in air quotes, because with mountain biking and cross-country skiing, people would, well, some people would be like, that's really dangerous. You know, mm -hmm. I got a lot of flack for that myself. Like, you shouldn't be mm -hmm. doing that. Did you get any of that? I didn't. Um, not really. People were really supportive. 
but I think, I think people like you probably tested the waters for me a little bit. I got a lot more of women reaching out to me that were either pregnant and be like, Oh my goodness, you can still ride a bike or women that were pregnant or like that have kids now. And they're like, I rode all through my pregnancy. And I think it's awesome that you're showing people that you can do that. So that was really cool. But I, I was, I definitely filtered what I put out there because I didn't want to deal with that negative energy of people. Like I wanted to show positive and safe examples of being out there, but and that you, yes, you can still ride a bike, but it's all, it's all relative to your skill level. Right. I, I had this great conversation with other cliff athletes and one was a snowboarder and she was like, you know, I would go snowboarding right until I delivered, but I wouldn't have gone mountain biking because I'm not the same skill set. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the same thing. It's like I mountain biked and I, I chose my trails. I definitely did not do trails that were intimidating at all but I would never have gone downhill skiing because I know I'm not as good of a downhill skier. And so, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people underestimate our, an athlete's desire to keep themselves and their, and their cargo safe. Um, So I think, you know, it's easy to see somebody doing something and kind of filter through their own perspective, whether that's risky or not, but, you know, for us, it, it doesn't feel risky at all because it's well within our skill level. So you ended up having a C-section. So I'd like to hear about that and then what your recovery and return to sport look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did end up having a C-section and, um, I was, I think fortunate in that I wasn't super dilated. So I, I, it's not like I had gone to the pushing stage and then they're like, okay, now we need to go to emergency stage C-section. I had been in labor for quite some time and I guess probably called pre-labor and then her, my baby's heart rate started going down when I ha- was having contractions. So we weren't sure what the cause of that was. So we opted to be safe and have the C-section. And so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I kind of, I was mentally prepared for my birth experience to go whatever way that it did, as long as it was healthy and safe. And so like, I felt pretty relaxed about that by the, by the time I got there. But yeah, like when you kind of come out of the anesthetic and then you're like trying to like sit up in a hospital bed to to go see your baby and you're trying to bend over to breastfeed and like not only just to breastfeed, but to learn and try and figure it out while you're holding a baby. It was just like, it's really hard to get out of a bed and to breastfeed when you have had abdominal surgery. Um, So yeah, that was, that was really hard. And then you're also trying to recover from a surgery when you're sleeping in an hour to an hour and a half segments. So, um, yeah, it's really that, that, uh, that first seven days is incredibly tough, but I found that for myself, like I, once I started, I tried to do like little walks, like not, not pushing it at all, like as soon as I could. So it was like, started with just like walking around the labor and delivery area of the hospital. And then when I got home, just taking little walks and sometimes it would be my, a nice little break. I'd Keith would stay with our, our baby and I'd take the dog for a walk. And, but yeah, I'd, I definitely had to work up to it. I'd say, you know, you're starting with like 10 minute walks and then 20 minutes. And I'd say it took me probably two weeks to feel like I 
wasn't compensating in my body posture at all for to go for a walk and not even think about it. And probably it was in that first week that like, you're like, oh, don't make me laugh or um, like the getting out of bed was challenging and things like that. And then I, I hopped on a bike on, I think day 10 and just on the trainer in my basement. Cause I, I didn't want to go far from the house for one thing. And, you know, wanted to be near Dara in case she needed me, but I'm um, just got on the bike and just rode. I think I started with like 25 minutes at like hundred Watts. And then I just built up every day a little bit more. And as long as I wasn't having any complications, then I felt okay to progress to the next level. And I think that's something that people don't realize that happens like after a pregnancy too, is that you have bleeding for, you know, two to six weeks, depending on the person. So that was one of my things that I would monitor is like, did anything I do cause an increase in of bleeding? And then that would be like a hard stop. But everything that I did uh, being very progressive, just, I didn't have any like worsening in how I felt and, or energy wise, I think it, it helped too. So yeah, just very steadily kind of worked myself up over a month just to rebuild my base fitness and then started training again. Yeah. So it sounds like really being in tune with your body, not rushing anything. And I heard you use specific words when you're talking about, you know, the things that happen along the way. Like I heard you use the word challenges, which is almost like a non-negative word. Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed that just in general, you are very intentional with your words. So like, looking at your past mental toughness and sport and the way that you, you know, are methodical about your training, did, did that play a role in how you approached the recovery portion and the return to sport? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I have had a couple broken bones in my career. So I have had the experience of having to be patient and, and more patient than I wanted to be. I'm kind of coming back from a broken collarbone, our rule was you have to wait one day after you feel ready to progress to the next step to progress to the next step, because there's nothing that is harder mentally than thinking that physically you're ready to push for more and then finding out that you're not or setting yourself back. So I, I knew that the best way to actually have a chance of getting back to, to competition would actually be to be conservative and um, not risk an injury or, or worsening anything, but laying a nice foundation and, um, yeah, not doing anything crazy, just kind of taking it step by step. Okay. So then you started like ramping up your training and was your first world cup at like three or four months postpartum, three and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, yeah. can you take us down that path? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we kind of had set these performance standards where it's like, okay, it'll be worthwhile doing this trip. If you're, if in training, we're seeing this kind of performance from you. And if you're not there, then it's like, we're going to be much better off to skip those races and, and pick up racing later in the season. And, um, the first ride I did outside, it was like, Oh, yep. No, I'm not going to be ready. <laughs> um, but then the cool thing about being like really far off on your fitness is that you do see rapid improvements. So it was, it was really exciting because every week we kind of have to adjust where my baseline was for power and heart rate and things, because I was changing that quickly. 
So that was really exciting because, you know, for the past 10 years of my career, I'm, I've been like looking for 1% improvement and here I'm getting like 10% in a week, it felt like. So yeah, we did decide that physically I was ready to, well, physically I looked strong enough, but what, whether or not I would have a good race performance or not would be, I kind of had to get back into racing to figure that out. Like it's, I haven't gone really fast on trails for a long time. And I like this, the mental component of like, can you push your body that hard for an hour and a half when you have people pushing you and, and like fighting you for those spots. So that was, that was still an unknown when we traveled over. And so we, the, I guess our first race was Germany and um, we did, we arrived super late because we had the chance to get vaccinated and that was a high priority. And so we traveled over pretty last minute. Like I got to Germany at like Wednesday evening and then I was lining up for short track on Friday evening and it was like raining and snowing and we were going to like days at the venue were extra long because we um, had to get a COVID test every day. And Keith was pretty much stuck in a hotel room with a jet lag baby for like all day, every day. Just rip the bandaid um, right off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was not, we didn't set ourselves up for success to that first one at all, but it was, it was good because like, well, the short track went fairly well. I like, I felt okay ish. <laughs> And it was just cool to get back in there. And then the, the cross country was going on Sunday was going super well, um, was like moving up places, but then it had gone from being snowing the morning before to being really hot. And I think my body like still didn't know what time zone it was on. And I just blew up and like went from like fighting for a top 30 to, I think I finished 52nd and, and kind of in the race, I was like, oh man, like this is probably what everybody else expected a postpartum first world cup race to look like but I, I honestly thought I was going to be better than this and like okay like in the race I was having to shift my expectations and my and be like are you okay with this is, is this like can you stay happy with this ride and and it was like yes just finish it up and then like set yourself up for more success at the next one so then from I had from that Sunday, I sat out the cross country or sorry, the short track the next week. So I gave myself a full week to recover more time to prepare on course. Cause I also found that like, I was just way more nervous preparing or the races were very wet and slick. And I just, I hadn't ridden wet trails or like risky trails for a long time. And I definitely felt like I was off the back technically and just in my in how to prepare, but yeah, I felt way more prepared for the the next one. And then I rode to a 23rd and I was like, okay, yeah, like that's what I expected. And then I honestly thought like, okay, I'm just going to keep jumping like this. Like I'm, I'm coming for that top 15, top 10. And then it was like, it was weird because then I just kind of got stuck there and uh, felt like I was executing pretty much every race this year. I felt like I've executed really good races but I've been stuck in that kind of like 18th to 26th positioning. And, uh, you know, I think maybe that's a good thing because, you know, I did have 10 months of compromised training kind of through pregnancy and, and postpartum. So it's like, if I was able to just jump back to the front of the world cup, I would be like, 
you know, it, I think it just shows how good our sport is that, you know, even if you have a super experienced athlete, it's really hard to get back to that top level unless you've had been able to put in that full year of really dedicated training at the same level as the women that are fighting for the wins. Yeah. So how did you like push through that? I don't know if you experienced self-doubt, but how did you push through all that? Because that's really you made it sound really easy, but that's a really hard place to be. Yeah. I, I mean, I think everyone experiences self-doubt, um, <laughs> but I guess for me, the I've, I've actually enjoyed racing a lot more this year than I actually had the two previous seasons that I raced because I was a lot more gentle on myself with my expectations. And that's not to say that I did not like do everything that I could to, to perform at the highest level, like bury yourself, but also recognizing just that, you know, the lead up wasn't perfect. You do go home and you, you go home to a baby. You don't go home to put your feet up and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever your competition might be doing to recover. So, you know, you realize that you are working with a different set of circumstances and beating yourself up, isn't going to make you faster. So it's like, if you can think of some concrete ways to, to change what you're doing to improve performance, you do that. But if you have to handle being a little further back than you might like to be, but you have an awesome, awesome family that is traveling with you to these races and you have that unique opportunity, then that's, that's pretty special. And that's, that's definitely more special than the results. Yeah. So I'm hearing like really choosing what you want to focus on, focusing on the positive things and even things that you didn't have access to in the past that bring even more joy than a race result. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, something that I always try to do is when is see whatever I'm faced with as an opportunity and like what opportunity can I make of this situation? You know, whether it's the pandemic or, you know, it's like being a mama there. And it's like, even though I might be used to a different set of results for other moms that are just like, I want validation that it's okay to exercise and that you can get back out and, and compete afterwards. And it's like, I can, I can do that. I can show that. And, um, you know, I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to, to share with women. Yeah. And going back to what we talked about at the beginning, like a, per a performance you're proud of and setting these process oriented goals based on and meeting yourself where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So let's yeah. uh, talk about the Olympics now. They let's see. Canada didn't make the official official selection until just a couple weeks before. Right. Yes. So, yeah, we have like our criteria were set out. And then so athletes were informed at the beginning of June, um, but then they have to let it be open for an appeals. And then they announce after any appeals. So some countries announced the team and then there could, it could be an appeal like there was in the US. And then the team changed after the official announcement. So Canada kind of does it where they let that process happen and then they make the announcement to the public right before. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah, you, you pretty much knew that you're going, you know, mm -hmm. subject to an appeal that could potentially yeah. change that, but pretty sure you're going. So how did you decide to plan that? Cause I know that you had posted something earlier about, you know, the Olympics weren't allowing women to bring their children, even if they're breastfeeding. And so how did that all go? Yeah. So I guess for me, I had to train as if I was going right from day one. So, and, and that just meant like doing my best and that like, that I could get to. And then, so it was right away. I was like, okay, like this, 
would if i if i'm at the olympics the olympics are going to be a covid olympics and that is having been to an olympics before i know how extremely tight they are for the amount of accreditation they get to how extremely difficult it is to see your family and you can usually only see your family in like communal areas so kind of we at two months i already started putting like breast milk in the freezer in case i am going to be away and and what our plan is so it was always very much in a state of adaptability where if at any point, you know, we were like, you know, for our family, this is going to be too hard. I knew that, you know, I might get myself physically to the level where I can go to the Olympics, but maybe it's just not going to be possible for our family, but things went well, like with the, the trip to Europe and then transitioning to like, she, she was really good with pumped milk right away. And then transitioning when we were in Europe over to formula so that by the time I went to the Olympics, she would be totally fine with just Keith. And, but that was always a point of like, at any point, like if this isn't going the way we want it, or like if at at one point I decide like, no, like I I can't leave or I want to do hundred percent breastfeeding is like, we kind of left that plan open, but just, we saw how it went and it just, it went smoothly for us. And then and just from Keith's experience of that first week in Germany, we knew that we didn't want him to, him and Dara to go to Japan and go through the time zone and the flying to be stuck in a hotel room for 10 days. Cause we knew that wouldn't be good for, wouldn't be good for us as a family. So kind of, we had it that we were, because we were fully vaccinated, we were able to get back to Canada and he could be with his mom and dad and her cousins and they would have a great time while I was away and I didn't need to worry about them because they were um, with family. So that worked out really well for us. And the decision on breastfeeding, it really came too late. I felt for us to make a good plan. Um, and there were still too many, too many unknowns about what life would look like on the ground for Keith and Dara. And, and the reality is they would have been in a hotel room pretty much for the entire time. So that's, not the best quality of life. (laughs) It sounds like you and Keith work really well as a team and you have really good communication and also are very like intentional about what your priorities are and like leaving this open. Like I might not go to the Olympics, even if I'm selected, if this doesn't work for my family and knowing that that's your number one priority. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of when we decided, so I coached myself through pregnancy, Keith is coaching me now. And that's been really awesome because we both know me really well and we can see what's happening and, and we're able to ad- adjust training for that. And so that partnership has been really good. And then, but yeah, like when we decided it's like, okay, I will like sign a contract and for racing the next year, which is also a cool opportunity because it allowed Keith to take a year off so he can really be there for Dara's first year. And, uh, and, but with that, we also knew it's like, plan A is you qualify for the Olympics, but if that's, if plan A is making our life miserable, then it's not a good plan A. Um, so then we go to plan B and I was lucky to have the flexibility with Cliff that I could, could pursue the Olympic pathway or I could pursue more domestic racing. Um, so I had those options to, to fit with what my performance level was and just what could work for us. So um, yeah, we're very fortunate to have a lot of opportunities within that. And, and also I think just with Keith and I having lived the the athlete and coaching life for so long, we really appreciate how much being active is part of our 
happiness and balance. And so for us, it wasn't just about me getting to focus on my training and what I needed. It was also um, making sure that whoever is uh, is working, you know, whether it's him or myself, that we really support the other person to get out every day to stay active. And just because we know that's important to both of us. And then, and also like, how much training do I need to improve my level? But how much time do I also need at home? That's not focused on high performance. That's just focused on being a mom and, and how to figure that balance out. And we've figured it out as we go along. And one of the ways that we worked super well together was um, just like figuring out sleep early on, which is a big part of how I was able to start training again is because she would take a bottle right away. We would split nights for sleeping. So one of us would sleep, like we just go to bed at eight o'clock. We're like, we're no, we don't need to stay up. We're just, if we're tired, we're going to go to bed. We sleep from one of us would sleep from eight to two. And the other one would sleep in Dara's room with her. And then we trade off. So it's like, one of us was always getting a good, like four hour chunk of sleep before we had our next four hour chunk of disrupted sleep. And so that was really cool because both of us are like, Dara doesn't need to be, she doesn't always need her mom or she doesn't always need her dad. She's like equally attached to both of us. And, um, and Keith and I both had good coping skills as parents because we weren't completely sleep deprived. And, um, and yeah, we have, we've had good energy for training. Like after the first kind of two weeks, we, we didn't need to have naps. Like we weren't that exhausted, which is not the norm of what you hear about new parents. So feel like we, because we were in a position where we could, but also where both of us wanted to embrace that 50, 50 split in parenting is, um, is set it up. So I think we're a lot less exhausted and we got to really enjoy it. We only have a few minutes left, but I'd love to hear like about how the actual Olympics, the race itself went for you and you know, how you approached that. Sure. Um, so the race was really good. It was a really cool course. It had been dry all week. And then we got 20 mils of rain the night before our race. So we, all the athletes arrived to the venue to this little piece of paper in our tents that says all the A-lines have been removed from your race. And we're working on the course to adapt it to the conditions. We're like, okay. So I think it's very abnormal to see people out training on course, like two hours before the Olympics, but pretty much everyone was probably out on course, um, testing out our tires, seeing what the changes to the course, some of which were still changed by, by the time we actually got into the race. So I was really hoping that the, um, the little bit of chaos would play into the hands of us experienced Olympians. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was a good race. Um, the, the start was a little bit chaotic with traffic and, and, and finding out what was slippery. And, um, so a bit of a, a rougher, a rougher first lap, just kind of like sorting out the, the chaos of, a of changed conditions. But, um, then once we settled into it, it was a really good race. I was able to be racing against the women that I was competing at, at the world cups. You know, I, I finished ahead of some girls that normally got me at a world cup and, and just behind some that I was normally competing with. So I guess you, you always hope that you're going to bring something special, um, to the Olympics and find that little extra bit of speed just from the energy of the event. But I, I felt like I had a very, like I rode where I, where I was, so I can't really be disappointed with that. You always hope that you'll be able to bring more, but I think I, I rode, I rode to my ability level at the time. And uh, I had a lot of fun riding the course. 
And um, yeah, it was kind of like coming into the finish line. It's like, okay, like, am I okay with this being like the, for sure my last Olympics, but like the close of, of this like world cup year. And I was like, you know, I am okay with that. And, and then coming into the finish line, it's like, the Japanese, we actually had spectators at our race because we were outside Tokyo and everyone was just so happy to be there and, and to watch the race and um, that it was really cool. And just, um, I, I guess, yeah, pretty nostalgic because just coming in and seeing like every emotion that I could see on people's faces in front of me, like some people were elated, some people were just like looked devastated and just kind of that full range of, of emotions that you get when you like try to like you do everything to focus on this one event and then it's happened and it's done and just kind of seeing that and being like wow like I've felt every single one of those emotions that I'm seeing because like I've I've been to four Olympics and like that was a really cool almost like a reflection of my career in kind of like the faces of everybody else and how their races went so yeah it was it was kind of neat and uh yeah, it's uh, it's always hard with the Olympics because there's so much lead up, and then it's like they happen and then they're done, and it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, it's like there's still more races like left in the season. You almost like yes. forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're still planning on retiring from the World Cup format of racing after this year. Yes. Yeah. So I, I go to World Champs in a week from now, and then I'll have a couple more events. And then, yeah, that'll, I'm sure you'll see me <laughs> popping up at races, but um, I'm just not sure at what level, but yeah, I'm, I'm good to be not racing world cups anymore. Yeah. So do you have any ideas of like what you might want to do moving forward? I'm really interested in working with kind of the next generation, um, working particularly, I think with young women, I, I really like that cohort and but any young and hungry athlete and just helping them get to the next level. And you realize over a lot of years of racing, you acquire a lot of experience and expertise that is hard to get from a textbook. And so um, making sure that that doesn't just go into retirement with me and to kind of be giving back in, in whatever manner that I, I find a venue for. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so many valuable insights in lots of different areas. And thanks. I yeah, always... It's hard to not keep going off on tangents because like with pregnancy and training, you can talk forever. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just always admire so much just your attitude and how you view anything that you're doing. You're just so positive and flexible and just have a lot of, I've used the word intention several times, but just a lot of intention with what you're doing. And I think that there's so much to be learned from you. Thanks, Sonia. Yeah. And where can people follow you? So I am on Instagram and Twitter at, at C Pendrel and on Facebook at Catherine Pendrel. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the chat. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you found as much inspiration as I did. Make sure that you also check out the previous episode that I recorded with Catherine Pendrell that is linked up in the show notes. I also linked up the podcast that she recorded with Cliffcast along with three other professional athlete moms. And if you are thinking about being a mom or you're a mom yourself, listening to that podcast episode will be really helpful and just really fun. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show if you're finding value in it so that others can find it as well. And I will see you right back here next week. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.